Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Motivate, the motivation and inspiration podcast. I'm your host, Dahi D, and today's guest is Jocko Willink talking about being aggressive with fear. Today's episode is important because many of us are paralyzed by fear. Many of us experience fear every day, and we really let it keep us from achieving our goals. And prolonged exposure to fear really leads to you being sheltered. It helps you avoid all of your problems in life and really pin it on one thing being the main problem. So stop being afraid, get out there, and tackle your goals. That's it for me today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Going to your book a little bit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, pick up, going back to that first thought. Standing up means voluntarily accepting the burden of being. Your nervous system responds in an entirely different manner when you face the demands of life voluntarily. You respond to a challenge instead of bracing for a catastrophe. You see the gold the dragon hoards instead of shrinking in terror from the all too real fact of the dragon. You step forward to take your place in the dominance hierarchy and occupy your territory, manifesting your willingness to defend, expand, and transform it. To stand up straight with your shoulders back is to accept the terrible responsibility of life with eyes wide open. The reason I pulled that one out in particular is the feeling that you have as a soldier or as as a military person, the feeling that you have going on an offensive operation where let's say you're a bad guy and I'm gonna come and get you Mm -hmm. at night. Well, first of all, you don't know and I'm sneaking up on you and I have all this power, right? I I feel good about it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get you. Mm The opposite of that is when I'm doing a convoy or I'm going on a patrol where now the bad guys are out there, they're waiting to attack me. And that is a defensive posture. And your attitude about that type of thing is bad. Now, we would train our guys that we we made a specific point with my guys. I would say, look, when you're on patrol, we're on offense. Mm -hmm. We are scanning. We are looking to to get us to be standing up straight and to get the mentality of, We want to do this and we're moving towards the target as opposed to we're being chased. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a big deal. Absolutely, that's a big deal. Yeah, and and that's, that's, what would you say? That's an extreme example of what's necessary under normal conditions in life. So one of the things that happens if you're treating someone who has a phobia, say like agoraphobia, so they become afraid of virtually everything. Um, Maybe they're afraid of an elevator. It's one of many fears. And so you think, well... And they're afraid of an elevator because they've actually gone in elevators and had panic attacks. So it's weird because what you do to cure them is to get them to go in elevators. And you think, well, wait a second, that's actually what caused the problem. So how can getting them to do that again make it better? And the answer is because they've gone in elevators their whole life, right? And yet they still become terrified. So how can getting them to go in an elevator cure them? For a long time, people thought, well you get them to relax while they were in the elevator and the pairing of the relaxation with being in the elevator taught them to not be afraid. That was the first theory. But then people learned that, no, you could just get them to go in the elevator without having them relax, and it also worked. And eventually, psychologists sorted this out, and what they figured out was that voluntarily encountering something you're afraid of 
is not the same thing as running from it. Like, it's seriously not the same thing. So you say to the person, okay, you're afraid of the elevator. Let's, can you go look at an elevator? And they usually say yes. And maybe they're so terrified because they're so far gone in their illness that they can't. You say, well, how about we look at a bunch of pictures of elevators? And it's like virtually everyone can do that. So say, let's look at pictures of elevators till you're bored. That actually doesn't take very long because it's actually quite boring. So then the next thing would be, well, let's go. You have to have the person trust you. And so the rule is, look, we're going to do some things that are going to push you, like competition. Right. But you can stop whenever you want, and we're not going to push you any farther than is good for you. And I'll stop anytime you want. I often practice with my clients, like I taught one client a while back to not be afraid of needles. And he was afraid of needles. And I'll tell you what that meant. He had dental surgery with no anesthesia. Oh. Right. Okay, so that gives you some level of what it's like to be afraid. It's like, I'll do the dental surgery, but you're not putting that needle in there. It's like, really? Wow. It's like, I'm no needles. <laughs> so, so I taught him how to not be afraid of, of needles, you know, and it, it didn't take very long. But the first thing I did is said, I told him I was going to bring a needle into the office. And that was all I told him the first week is next week, I'm going to bring a needle in here and I'm going to keep it sheathed. And it's going to be sitting on a shelf, and that's where I'm going to put it. And when you come in here, you can look at it. And if you want me to put it away, then I'll put it away. It's under your control. And then, so he was okay with that. So he came in. I said, there's the needle. I said, you want to look at it? He said, no. He said, but can you? It's like, I'll look at it. So he looked at it. And then he said, look, like, I'm going to pick up the needle. And now what you're going to do is you're going to tell me to put it down. And I'm going to put it down. So I picked it up. And he got nervous, like, right away. And... He said, will you put that down? I put it down right away. I said, we do that 10 times so that the bottom part of your nervous system actually knows that that's what's going to happen. He said, now, and then the next thing we'll do is we're going to practice you saying you've had enough and leaving the office. So I pick up the needle and he'd say, okay, so now you say you've had enough, I'm leaving. And so he said that and then I'd let him leave. We did that like 10 times so that he knew that he could just say he'd had enough and leave. So that meant he didn't have to be a prey animal, right? So we were getting him out of that mode. And it didn't take very long until, well, then I could bring the needle close to him. And I said, make sure you watch it. You can't pretend it's not there, right? I'll bring it close to him and touch it and touch him with the sheathed needle. So we did that a bunch. And then finally, I unsheathed it and I'd bring it close and he'd tolerate that or stop me. And then I'd touch him with that. And then the last part of it was that... Um, I put it under a piece of paper so he couldn't see it, and then I'd bring it close to him, right? Because that was that was the unknown, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know what the hell's going on underneath the piece of paper. <laughs> but he got to the point where he could go and have a needle. It took him about. It was very brave of him to do this because, well, what had happened? He got what had happened to him is he had a very bad experience with a childhood dentist who held him down. I was about to say, where did this come from? Oh, yeah, held him, six people held him down to give him a needle. It's Mm. like, that wasn't wasn't so good. It had some long-term consequences. But see what happened. So when when you do that with people, you don't teach them to be less afraid. You teach them to be braver. That's different. And so, like, I had a client once, the doors opened on the elevator, and she looked and she said, that's death. Like, that's a tomb. And I thought, wow, that's an amazing response. And her idea was she'd go in there, her heart rate would accelerate, she'd have a heart attack, and she'd die. So as far as she was concerned, walking in there was death, death. right? Okay, so for me, it was an elevator, but for her, it was death. It's like, okay, well, what do you do about your fear of death? Well, we're not getting rid of that. It's like, 
You know, and you could die in the elevator. You actually could. Probably you won't, but people do die in elevators. And her idea was that, well, if anyone has ever died in an elevator in the history of mankind, that's a good reason for me not to be in the elevator. It's like, fair enough, you know. And why aren't you terrified out of your skull all the time? Because while you're wandering around, you might have a heart attack. Like, that will probably, in fact, happen to you at some point. So why aren't you terrified of that at every moment? Well, that's the mystery. Well, so you treat people... And, and you see, with that client, what I eventually did with her is we went and watched an embalming. Mm. She was terrified of death, like date seriously. Night. Yeah, date <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good times. Right, no kidding. But, you know, so you, get, you don't get less afraid. You get braver. That's better because there's plenty of things to be afraid of.